All right. Good morning. Good morning. How many love Jesus today? How many appreciate that worship, man? Awesome experience. Awesome time of worship. But uh, hey, again, I just want to thank you. And I want to say on behalf of our family, we can't thank you enough. I I can't imagine a family going through what we've been going through without a body like this, without a community and a church family. And we can't thank you enough for all the love and support that you have shown to us. And Brad Nashley will be right back with us. We encourage them to stay away today, you know, especially as a mother losing a child. Right now, a lot of hugs is not as healthy as that can be. That can be a very painful day to go through. So we want to thank all of you, the food, the, just everything has been amazing. But uh, Pastor Brad had already asked me to preach today, so it was kind of a God thing, you know, that, that we, it was set up. And I haven't changed a thing. Uh, the notes that I am going to use today are exactly the notes that I turned in a week ago before we ever knew about this, this transition with Jabin. And so we haven't changed anything because I believe God's ordained today. And I believe he ordained you to be here today for this message. And it fits exactly in where we are in life. And, and we're in this series called Real Talk. And Pastor Brad already talked to me about uh, talking about this topic. I, he asked me, you have anything to share? And I said, sure. God laid some on my heart. We've been dealing with this with our Man Talk small group. And so I said, yeah, I really have some heart on Christianity over Christianity. Christianity with a C versus Christianity with a K, meaning there's a lot of artificial stuff out there that's not biblical. And we want biblical truth. And so I want to talk to you today on this topic of true Christianity becoming true image bearers of Christ. This is Pentecost Sunday. Where people all over the nation are celebrating uh, Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, who comes to operate with His person, His power, His presence. And how many is thankful that you belong to a church where the Spirit is able to move and draw people to Jesus? Amen. And we've had we have critics like everybody else. We've been told you're not you're not spirit filled enough. And I go, what you really mean is we don't do enough to make you feel better that your wants more important than somebody else's need. I don't need people jumping and running pews and doing somersaults for me to feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. I feel Him every day in my worship. You know what I'm saying? That's people that don't worship until they get to church. Then they want a band to help them feel God. I'm here to tell you, if you're a worshiper all week long, I come on Sunday not to just worship. I come to see lives transformed. And you can't call yourself a spirit-filled church if you're not seeing people saved on a regular Sunday basis because the Spirit, no man comes to the Father unless he's drawn by the Holy Spirit. And can I tell you, 47 people signed the Connect card last month only that they gave their hearts and lives to Jesus here on Sunday morning. 47 people because they were drawn by the Holy Spirit. So we celebrate Pentecost Sunday. I want to talk to you about becoming image bearers of Jesus. What, is the, what does that mean? The word image means a representation of the external form of a person or a thing to resemble or appear in the likeness of. That, that when we become image bearers, we become a representation of Christ. But here's the key. However you view God is how you will both approach him and represent him. That if I view God as this dictator in heaven that's just waiting for me to breathe wrong and he's going to come down and knock me out, that's how I'm going to approach him in my relationship, in my worship, and in my prayer. He's a God that I'm afraid of and I stay distance of because I'm never good enough for him. But if I view him as a father who's there for me and with me to walk me through life and help me through that journey, I will approach him with that mindset. 
And it's also how I represent him. That if I view him as this dictator God, then that's the gospel I'm going to present to people. And that's why the church has helped more people go to hell than we ever brought into heaven. It's because we told them every reason they're not good enough for heaven. Rather than how to become good enough in God to get there. And so I want to talk to you today about becoming image bearers of Christ. You see, it's not Jesus or the gospel that some of you or the world are rejecting. It's the misrepresentation of Jesus in the gospel that's been presented by the church. That we've done a poor job on presenting the God of heaven in a way that people can identify with him and understand that he really loves them and he wants to change their life. Can I tell you today, Jesus is not here today to find a way to send you to hell. He's come that whosoever will might have life and have it more abundantly. 2 Corinthians, 13, or 2 Corinthians 3, let's read our text. And we all, say all, all, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, here it is, are being transformed, that's a process, into this image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. How many here will acknowledge for me, when you got saved, there was an instant change that took place in your life? Come on, anybody with me? I had a brother walk to me just right before church. He was sitting down, I greeted him for the first time. He's new in our church. He's going through some struggles, but he looked at me, almost had tears in his eyes. He said, I just want you to know, when I walked in these doors weeks ago, my world was crashed. Everything was done and over. He said, but when I walked in this building, I felt a love that I have never experienced in my life. Tears immediately began to flow down my cheeks, and he said, I'm experiencing a transformation in my life through the love and the power of Jesus. Come on. That's what the gospel's about. That when we found Christ, there was an immediate salvation, but how many's found out the transformation into the image of God is not an immediate thing, it's a process. And I want to take you on a journey today of that process. The image of God. So if we're to be image bearers of Christ, then we need to know what does that look like. If I'm to be a representative of Christ in this world, then what should I look like to the world? We find it in John 1, 14, and it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus is the word. He became flesh. He dwelt among us so that we could see him. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. And here's what the image looks like. He's full of grace and truth. I want to talk to you about three ingredients that's required for us to become image bearers of Christ on this earth where we become real Christians rather than artificial Christians. Number one is grace. It's a word that's thrown around a lot in the church, but I want to talk to you about it biblically today. Ephesians, the apostle Paul tells us in chapter 2, he says, as for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sin. Anybody remember those days? In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. You were dead. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you and I have been saved. What is that? Grace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God towards people. Grace is something that you can never get. It has to be given to us. 
Grace is unconditional love and acceptance by a heavenly father. Grace is the first ingredient necessary for growing up and transforming into the image of God. Grace is an unbroken, uninterrupted, unearned, and an accepting relationship between God and you and I known as fallen man. Get your notes out. Grace shows the relational aspect of God's character. It shows itself in his unconditional love and connection with us. Grace is where God wants to be known to you and I as the heavenly father. He wants us to be able to get in his lap and go, I blew it today, dad, but I know you're going to be here with me anyway. Any parents in the house? I I raised my kids and I told them this and I tell parents this. I tell them when my children were minors, I was their parent. I dictated the boundaries and the guidelines for their life. I dictated what they're going to bring in my house and what they're not. I dictated what they're going to go do and what they're not going to do. I was their parent. I made their decisions for them. When they became adults, I no longer make their decisions. They make their decisions. I'm no longer their parent. I'm their coach. And some of you parents in here need to learn that today because you need to stop trying to parent 40-year-olds and start coaching them. And it will make your life a whole lot more comfortable. And what God is saying that when you were a babe in Christ, when you were a babe and you were an infant and immature, he was our parent. He told us what to do and set boundaries and guidelines. But as we grow in the image of the Father, He wants to now not be a parent. He wants to be a coach in our life. He wants to become relational with us. And when we make right decisions, He's going to reward us. And when we make bad ones, He's going to pick us up, not kick us out of the family. He's going to correct us and walk us and coach us through that journey so that we make the right ones and end up in His purpose and plan for our life. So grace allows him to become very relational with us. There's a great example with Peter. Everybody remember Peter in the Bible? He's one of the disciples. He's at the Last Supper with Jesus. There's a debate going on around the table. Who's the favorite and who's the most spiritual? And and Peter, he won the debate. He's telling Jesus in front of all the disciples, hey, Jesus, I don't know about these other dudes, but you don't have to worry about me. I'm with you for life, Jesus. I'm with you to death. You don't, I don't know about these guys, but you don't have to worry about me. I'm going to be with you to the end. And Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Peter, you have no clue. He said, but I can tell you this, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Not me, Jesus. You got the wrong one. Sure enough, they leave the table. Peter walks outside, and he goes into town, and a young girl walks up to Peter and goes, you're one of Jesus. No, no, not me. Oh, you're one of Jesus. No, not me. She's asked him the third time, and he began to curse and swear publicly, denouncing that he ever knew Jesus. And what you have to understand that in the theology of that day, the religion of that day, what Peter just did was an unforgivable sin. In the religion of that day, to publicly curse and denounce knowing Christ was an unpardonable sin that Peter just committed. Can you imagine the guilt and the shame that just overcame Peter immediately after realizing when that cock crew that I did the very thing he said I would do? I just denounced the Savior. Can you imagine the head that Peter dropped and he walked away in grief and in guilt and in shame? And for days now, he's had to deal with this guilt and shame that Jesus, he was right. I wasn't real. He don't love me anymore. He was right. I was never one of his. He was right. And then all of a sudden, Jesus died. He was crucified. And there they put his body in a tomb. And one day, Mary then went to the tomb to visit the body, and the stone was rolled away, and there was an angel there. And here's, I love this story. And, and she said, where, where is he? And he said, he's not here. 
He's alive like he said he would be, and he's waiting for you in Galilee. He said, he told me to tell you to tell the disciples and go tell Peter. The only one he mentioned by name was the one who failed the most. Come on, somebody. That's called unmerited favor. That's called grace. And Jesus demonstrated grace to Peter that the one who failed the most is the one that he named off by name and said, and by the way, there's one of them that thinks he's failed so bad that, that I still don't love him, that I don't want him anymore, that he's messed up so bad that he doesn't matter. He didn't mention any of the others. He said, go tell the one who messed up the most. Go tell Peter. I want to see him when I get to Galilee. Come on, somebody. How many is thankful that when you were messing up, man, you knew you were wrong, that God didn't throw away your name, but he said, my name is written in the palm of his hand ever before him, day and night. It's called grace, grace. You see, the danger of grace is grace by itself. He didn't say that he was grace alone. He said grace through. Grace by itself removes any boundaries, and it gives us an, a pardon for sin thus puts us in a non-ending cycle of failure. Grace by itself will not set you free. Grace enables me to be loved in a position that I should never be loved. Come on, someone. That's why he put grace before truth. Because if he put truth before grace, we would have never got to grace because we'd have never became good enough. So he put grace before truth so that I could feel welcome and accepted by him first. And now he's going to establish some boundaries around me that I want to operate my life by, not that I have to operate my life by. So he tells us grace by itself is not enough because it'll put you in a spiral of failure in your life. So he said he's grace and number two, truth. John 8, 32 says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. See, this is where many find their struggle in Christianity is because we love the grace part. We just don't want anybody, including God, to tell us what we got to do. That was good preaching right there. The amens were kind of weak, but that's some good stuff. And he says, I brought truth. You see, truth is the second ingredient necessary for growing up and being transformed in the image of God. Truth is what is real. It describes how things really are. Grace represents the relational aspect of God's character, but truth represents the structural aspect of God's character. Truth leads us to what is real and what is accurate. It gives us directions in life. It tells us what we can and cannot do, what is right and what is wrong, what is good, and what is bad. God's truth establishes boundaries on how we can and cannot live life as a true Christian. You see, we must come and realize it is here that God comes in with truth. Now, in grace, I feel his embrace. In grace, I know that he loves me. And then he comes in as I grow up. I remember as an infant, it was like you could do no wrong. Mom and dad just love you. Isn't this the most beautiful baby in the world? And other people are going, not really, but to you they are. <laughs> they could do no wrong. Just love you, love you, love you. And then how many found out when they got older, you had to start building boundaries. And now you have to start establishing truth so that they would be protected and become something positive in life. 
And that's what truth does for us. When I have the Bible, I have grace that I know God loves me. But now he says, I've got truth that's going to tell you how to operate your marriage. I've got truth in my word that's going to tell you how to deal with your sexuality. I've got truth in my word that's going to tell you how to deal with your health. I've got truth right here that's going to tell you how to operate your finances and be successful and blessed. I've got truth. I've put pattern down. I've I've showed you here's how to live your life. And he said, if you'll put grace that I receive you like you are, now let me put truth in your life and establish boundaries. He said, now you're in the image of my son, Jesus. And he said, now you've set yourself in a place uh, that I don't want to do you harm. I want to do you good. I want to bless you. I want to prosper you. I can walk you through blessing and and blessing and blessing and blessing and I can be there in your dark times. I'll be there in your hallelujahs. I'll be there in your tears. I'll be there in your triumph. I'll be there when you're sick. I'll be there when you're well. And even if you die, death has no hold on me. There's a better place that's coming. He said, but you've got to let me set some boundaries in your life or you'll never go anywhere. You'll spiral and defeat your whole life. So he brings truth. Truth. That's what he did with Adam and Eve. Remember that in the garden? Adam and Eve's in there, and he said, you can have everything in here, but this one tree, you don't eat of it, or you will surely, he didn't say you might, or, you know, some people can, you know, I'll let few people get away with it, but most of them will let die. No, he said, if you eat, you die. And can I tell you, Truth says the wages of sin is still death. But the gift of God, I'm so glad that butt's there. But the gift of God is still eternal life through Jesus Christ my Lord. So he says, and I know some people don't want to hear this still today because religion, K, Christianity with a K, false, and different politicians and everybody else want to tell you that's just that religious stuff that tells you and they want to own. No, God set down some truth. And he said, if you will operate your life by truth, I will give you grace for my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect. In your weakness. Well, I I think it's okay for me to go sleep with that person. No, truth says they're not your spouse. That's adultery. So you don't go outside those boundaries. Get back in. I've got some boundaries for you. My flesh says I can go out to that bar on Friday night and I'll get it fixed before Sunday. The truth, the Holy Spirit, Pentecost Sunday says, no, you got to come back in and get back inside those boundaries. Don't you go play games with the devil. You don't play dice with the devil. You'll lose every time. He said, I'm a father. I'm a father. I'm protecting you. I'm coaching you. He says, through my Holy Spirit, I'm going to convict you. I'm going to keep you in that box, not to contain you, but to protect you so that you can operate and live in the blessings of my word. So he told Adam and Eve, you don't need of it. You're going to die. He spoke truth. But here's the bad part about truth. Truth by itself brings a law that nobody can live. Truth outside of grace is this law that says we're never, ever good enough. That I'll never be good enough. You see that that I come into this place because truth without grace always produces judgment. It always will. 
And here's what I found out. People that are always telling other people what's wrong with their life are the ones who's got more dark stuff going on in their closet than anybody else. But truth outside of grace brings judgment. But when we combine grace and truth, we have a true representation of Jesus. Romans 7, 9 and 10 says, Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang into life, and I died. I found the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. Why? It was law without grace. And law without grace will kill you. I'm never good enough. That's why 87% of people in the church never enter their freedom stage of their journey with God because they never feel good enough because they've always got these law people standing around them telling them what they're not rather than real Christians, image bearers of Jesus being around them telling them what you can become. That's what we find in the gospel of Jesus. You see, grace and truth combined represents the true image and nature of Jesus. We see the greatest example with the woman caught in adultery. Remember her in the Bible where the religious, the church with the K, brought her to Jesus, and here's what they did. And they were right, but they were wrong because they used the law, truth, without grace They weren't true image bearers of Jesus or they would have brought her to Jesus with a desire to see her redeemed. But they brought her to Jesus and said, Jesus, we caught her red-handed in adultery. She was with another man that's not her husband. And the Bible, the law, your word says she's to be stoned to death. And it did say that. But rather than use the truth to set her free, they tried to use the truth to put her to death. But Jesus, being full of grace and truth, the Bible said he knelt down and he wrote in the sand. But they didn't change their attitude. They still threw the law, the the law, Jesus. So he knelt down the second time. And what did he write, Pastor? I don't know. Dan Livingston Version said he wrote Martha, Mary, Susan, Abigail. Who are they? They're mistresses. women they're seeing that's not their wife because he wrote something that got rid of every one of them. (laughs) And Jesus, full of grace and truth, looked at the woman who was guilty and said, where are your accusers? She said, I don't have any right now. He said, neither do I accuse you, Grace. But then he said, go and don't do it anymore, truth. Grace and truth. And that's what the image of Christ looks like. But how do we get there? The third ingredient is time. And my time's almost gone. Time. Ecclesiastes 3, y'all with me? This is good stuff, man. I've been waiting to get up here for a long time. All right. I'm just kidding on that part. Pastor Brad's been asking me to preach, and I've been going, I'd rather hear you, bro. You, you way better than I am, and you get them to laugh. I'm like a bulldog that just bites, breathes, and hangs on at the same time, you know? I said, they can't handle much of that. We need some funny stuff up there, too, all right? But uh, isn't he doing an amazing job? I just love him, man. Love him. The whole team is amazing. But the three ingredients, time. Ecclesiastes says, he made everything beautiful in its time. 
He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Remember Adam and Eve, we talked about them. He said, you don't eat of this tree or you will die. They eat of the tree, and what did God do? He immediately removed them from the garden. Now, I've heard that preached for years that that was punishment, but that was not punishment because that wasn't punishment time. That was redemption time. Because Jesus knew, I want you all to get this today because some of you are hanging up right here. This is why you're not progressing in your Christian journey. You keep letting the devil hang you right here. He removed Adam and Eve from the garden because once they ate of that fruit that they, that of knowledge of good and evil, they recognized themselves as sinners. They saw their nakedness and they realized now that they were separated from God and now they're in a lost condition. They're away from the presence of God. But there was still the tree of life in the garden and God knew that in that lost condition, if they ate of the tree of life, they are now eternally damned in the lost condition that they ate the tree of life in. So he removed them from the garden so that they would not eternally damn themselves and the generations to come knowing grace and truth that out of the same woman that sinned and brought sin into the world, out of her lineage was going to come a redeemer that was going to hang on a cross and redeem lost mankind back to the father. He knew that there was some time that was going to come and we're still in it right now. That he knew that man was now eternally lost if he didn't remove them from that tree of life. He removed them so that in this process of time, redemption time, that God could establish his son on a cross that would bear our sins in his body, that would redeem us from eternal darkness and damnation. He pulled them out because of his grace and his truth that he was establishing so that you and I, and what does that mean? That means that you and I in this time, in these journeys of life that we don't understand. I've got more questions than I've got answers to God right now. I miss my little buddy so bad, you can't imagine. But I do know that I have a promise in his word and the truth of this word that it doesn't end right here. But I've got to learn this and here's what I want to leave you with. If you're going to become a true image bearer of Jesus, and how many wants to do that today? I'm getting preachy, I'm sorry. I'm not really, I'm having a blast, all right. I just said that so Brad could hear me say it. But if we're gonna become true image bearers of Jesus, we've got to learn how to worship in the middle of our why. We've got to learn not to lay the book down in the middle of our why and go, God, you don't care. You're not here. You didn't do what you said you would do. You didn't come like you said you were going to come. No, you got to realize uh, all things are working together for the good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose and glory. And you've got to learn. Listen, the first thing I did after I held my grandson when he breathed his last breath, Ashley and I were by him. Both of our prayer, both of our prayer through this whole journey was, I said, God, I want to be holding my 
my grandson when he reveals, if you take him, I want him in my arms. I don't want him laying on a bed by himself. Actually, her prayer has been, Father, I, I just, I've got to be there if you take him. I don't want to get a call and come home to my son who's passed away. And God honored both of our prayers. We were the only two people in the room and we were standing at his bed and we had him in our arms when he breathed that last breath and he left us. But I want to tell you the first thing I did when I left my little buddy's body is I went into another room by myself and I pulled out my phone and I began to play his favorite song by Hillsong at the cross, at the cross. And I began to worship God and I began to tell him in the midst of my pain and in the midst of my uncertainty and in the midst of my questions, I want you to know I worship you. I worship you in the middle of my why. I worship you in the middle of my conflict. I worship you in the middle of my tears. And if you're going to become an image bearer of Jesus, you've got to learn how to worship him in the middle of your why. Because everybody look at me. The world's not watching you when you're on vacation. They're watching you when you're in the lowest valley of your life. And they want to know if it works for you, it'll work for them. But if it's not good enough for you, someone asked me this morning and very concerned for them. They said, Pastor, why are you doing this today? Why are you putting yourself through this? I said, I'm not putting myself through anything. I said, if we're going to tell this body, you got to step up and stand up and believe God and keep leading in the midst of your pain. We got to do it ourselves. You got, you got to show, you got to do it. You got to believe it. I believe this word is true. It's not over. I'm going to play ball with my grandson in heaven one day. I, and if you think we've got a good field here, you ain't seen a field till you get to heaven. Amen. And I'm saying you've got to learn how to worship in the middle of your why. That's where so many of us lose it. Boy, we're all about God when His blessings are there, but then when the uncertainties and the questions are bigger than the answers, we bail out on Him. No, you got to be as faithful in your why as you are in your what. Today, I want to challenge us as Transformation Church. Let's get ready. Let's get ready to impact more lives than we can imagine with the hope of Jesus. I can tell you right now, our ultimate goal as pastors in this church is not to have a good Sunday morning church service. I love those, don't get me wrong. I think we have some pretty good ones. But that's not our ultimate goal. Our ultimate goal is when you leave this place every Sunday morning, there's a word that's got a hold of your heart. You've felt and experienced the Holy Spirit in worship and the atmosphere, and you leave this building as an image bearer of Jesus, and you go out and you impact your sphere of influence with the hope of Jesus that when they see you, they see Him. Now we've won and accomplished what God's called us to do and be. In Jesus' name. Amen. You receive God's word today? Bow your heads with me. Father, I just lift every person in this building to you today. God, I thank you that you're a God who is faithful. You're a Father that never abandons us. You're right here with us. God, I pray for every person in this building right now, God, that God, those that are here that might be confused, Lord, that that maybe they've had a false representation of the gospel. God, it had been clear, Lord. It's been more judgmental than it has been grace. It's been grace without truth or truth without grace. But Lord, today, God, we've tried our best to present who you really are, grace and truth. God, I just pray over every person today, Lord, especially those right now, God, that might be away from you or they've never had an encounter with you. Father, I just pray over them right now that this will be the day, God, that they say yes to your grace and your love. And if you're in this room right now, you say, Pastor Dan, I'm away from God, or I've never known God, but I know about Him, and I know that I need Him in my life, and I know right now I'm not where I need to be spiritually. 
And I just want you to pray a prayer for me. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to point you out. I just want to pray a prayer. If that's you right now, would you just lift a hand wherever you sit? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, sir. Anyone else want to join these? God bless you, brother. I need Jesus in my life. Maybe online. That's you. God bless you. God bless you, ma'am. I need Jesus in my life. I need a change, Pastor. Maybe I've been avoiding him. I've been afraid of him. That truth thing, that's all I heard. I didn't hear about grace. Or maybe you heard too much grace and there wasn't a balance of truth. But I want to tell you together, he'll change your life. He'll change your life. Anyone else before we pray? You say, that's me today. God bless you, man. If you raise your hand or you did not and you say, I need Jesus in my life today, pray this prayer with me. Say, dear Jesus, I come to you now. You said in your word, if I would come to you, confess with my mouth that you are Lord. Believe in my heart that you raised from the dead. I can be saved. Right now, I come to you. I confess. I believe and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, according to your word, I'm saved. I'm a brand new person in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, you join me. There are about seven, eight hands raised. Come on. Come on, let's celebrate today.